I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been reading all the work. And welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down. I'm your host, Kevin Hill, as always, here where we talk about freight sales, because this is the freight sales podcast for closers. And I have a very special guest in here in the online studio for you today. He was my first job when I was a freight broker. My my introduction to the industry is Mr. Kyle Golston, and he's with Cargo Quotes. He's a chief operating officer over there. And they do a lot of cross-border shipping. We've been talking about that a little bit, and I think we're going to be talking about that for the next decade uh, or more. But he taught me a lot about in and out of Mexico moves when we were at our former employer. And um, it's going to be nice uh, catching up with Kyle Gosen, or as I call him, KG today. Hey, and as I call you, Hill, baby. <laughs> we we had a lot of K's in the office, didn't we? Yes, we did. With that, it was a requirement to have a Kyle or a Kevin or a K name, and and everybody in our office seemed to have that at one point. So it was a lot of fun. Did. I think that did that, and that was about eleven years ago. Whenever I joined, yep. I think 2012, 2013. I, yep, that's about right. Yep, yeah, yeah. I started there in 2008, so yeah, that that have been about right. Yeah, yeah. So. um it was always interesting and, and, and going in and out of Mexico, kind of that that that, that cross border activity was it was kind of our niche mm-hmm. in that office and and flatbed and it was it was interesting. Yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, it yeah. was where we all we all cut our teeth in cross cross border freight back then. You know that was kind of where I learned cross border. I knew a little bit about everything in the transportation business up until that point, and that was my first foray into brokerage. Um, and it just so happened that um, we had a sister company that was strong in Mexico, and we latched onto that and built a brokerage around uh, around that cross border business, and had some had some people on our team that knew a lot about it, but um, a couple guys like us didn't know a whole lot about it and learned a lot in the process. So it was a great time, good company, and learned a, a whole bunch about cross border back in the day. We did, we did. And you said that was your first foray in a brokerage. You well, I'd run, a bro- I'd run a brokerage, but it was it was relatively small at um, okay. at Yellow Corporation. But um, the majority of what we did and and the team that I managed at YRC went up right prior to living was domestic freight forwarding with a little tuck in brokerage operation that was pretty small. Nothing nothing compared to what we did at Melton and yeah. and we've done since then at other other companies. So that is correct. So that was my segue right there. Is is you started out in the LTL world, uh, Yellow. You spent uh, a number of years at Yellow. That's been in the news, unfortunately. Yep. Lately, and um, just wanted to to get your thoughts on on that situations and and what you know your days at Yellow and what it meant and I guess what yeah, as, a, as an alumni, I guess is what I'd call myself. Alumni, corporate. Yes. You know, I was there for almost twenty five years. Um, did a little bit of everything. Traveled all over the country. Lived in a, a number of different places, doing sales operations. And as I mentioned, I finished my, my career at YRC in the domestic freight forwarding um, side of the business. Um, but yeah, I, I had a bunch of good people there. Had a bunch of friends there. Over obviously over twenty five years, you build a pretty significant network and. It was tough to watch from afar. I got um, in 2008, as I mentioned, with that's when you and I, um, you know, when I joined Malton and subsequently you joined us as well. But, um, you know, I got, you know, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're smart. I got lucky in 2008 and got that job offer from, 
for Melton and, and left YRC just as things were really starting to get tough for, for the corporation. Um, obviously, the 2008 turndown in the economy, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call that, that happened in 2008. So got lucky, got out. But, um, you know, there was a, a whole host of things that could have, should have, would have, you know, maybe should have, shouldn't have been done, could have been done to prevent the demise of YRC. And I think everybody, you know, had a hand in, in the ultimate closure of the company. But, you know, deregulation didn't help. Um, being a, one of the last union cares um, still in business um, probably put them at a competitive disadvantages. You know, the inability to adapt quickly just because of some of the work rules and things that, that, that they dealt with. And, you know, the union went a long way to help them through some of their struggles in the early between 2008 and the closure. But I think at the end, both parties have just said enough's enough. Um, you know, biggest wasn't the best, but that was their strategy to become the biggest. And, and turned out it was probably probably the death knell for them when they started to, you know, acquire companies that were of like size and of like nature. And they were, you know, doubling down on their overhead costs, doubling down on their you know, terminal exposure, you know, customer base wasn't a significant enoughly, a significantly enough difference um, to really bring on additional new business through the acquisition strategy. So, yeah, there was a lot of things over the course of, you know, 15 or 16 years that really led to, um, you know, the events over the last couple, you know, 30 days. So it's sad to see, but, um, you know, it's one of those when I went to work for YRC or Yellow Freight, as it was called in 1991, it was like going from the minor leagues to the majors. I was at a, a regional carrier um, that was based in Northwest Arkansas, got the opportunity, um, again, because of a bankruptcy, um, got an opportunity to go to work for, for uh, Yellow Freight. And, you know, I thought I'd hit the jackpot, you know, the lottery, you know, getting to go to the major leagues and play with the big boys. And, for 25 years, it was a great opportunity for me and sad to see him go, but uh, probably was overdue for them to, you know, age off into the sunset. Yeah, so double-edged sword in, in a lot of ways where it was two, two battles at once, you know, union competing against non-union mm-hmm. competitors. And then, as you mentioned, those big deals, those mega mergers, combinations mm-hmm. of, of like size is a very difficult task to, to integrate correctly. You see that in, in any industry you look at and in the research that says most M&A deals, certainly of that size, right. don't produce the shareholder value over the long term. And uh, when, when you when you have those two battles raging or those two fires raging at once, it's, it's hard to continue. Yeah, yeah. In, in the strike of 94, which I was in Chicago for, that was a, whole other taught the day of discussion and podcast of kind of the experience of living through a major um, unionized strike. Um, but in 1994, when they struck, they were Conway, um, or I should say Consolidated, Roadway and and Yellow Freight at the time were still the, the premier carriers. They were the significant players in the marketplace. And the strike of 94 really gave the non, uh, non-union regional carriers just the just the boost that they needed to, to overtake and pass those three giants. Um, obviously, Consolidated didn't last much longer after that strike, um, and Roadway not, and Yellow obviously merged, and, and finally YRC uh, ended um, in the last 30 days. But that, that strike of 94, I think, is undervalued in terms of the impact it had on 
so many years later on the LTL industry. It was significant. Um, it was an extended extended strike. Um, a lot of business was converted to the regional carriers, the regional non-union carriers, and it, they never got that some of that business back. So you know, a lot of factors there. But that strike of 94 really was probably the first tipping point in the demise of, of the major unionized carriers. Yes, I, exactly right. So that's the, the rearview mirror. Well, let's uh, look out the windshield now and uh, and talk about where you're at now, cargo quotes. Um, how long you've been there, kind of the origin story of cargo quotes and, yeah. and the, the, the markets that, that you attack. So another gentleman and myself um, met in early, 19, uh, early 2019, and um, he was looking to invest in uh, some new business, and I was looking to Try a, try my hand at a startup, and um, early in 2019, we start some conversations and said, "Yeah, we 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 think we can pull this off. We've got all the right pieces in place." And I had the tribal knowledge, and um, he had the equity. And so we we spun it up in May of 2019, and really got to gaining some traction. Early, and early on, actually, pretty quickly, we hired a couple guys that I'd worked with in the past that had some experience and had some customers that we were able to onboard right away. And obviously that cash flow thing's pretty critical early on. Um, and then 2019 rolled around. We were headed into 2020, started the year. Great things were happening. And then obviously, as everybody knows, COVID hit. And we we're going, my goodness, and what do we do now? And the reality is, um, because we were you know, a small company, we were able to be pretty nimble through that, um, even through the shutdown. Um, and really, as, as things nobody really thought about how the end would come in terms of COVID. It really was a boom, as everybody knows in the transportation business. It was a boom for supply chain and logistics. So we were kind of on that wave, riding that thing out of, of uh, out of the shutdown and rolled to the second half of 2020, had a great second half of the year. 21 was an even better year. Um, and and I, I guess one detail I, I failed to mention was we hired um, Patty Hinojosa, who you know, and worked yeah. with uh, another compatriot of ours at, at Melton Logistics, I hired her in June of 20, right as we were coming out of COVID. And as you know, she's a go-getter, hit the ground running, really started us to help develop that niche business, that cross-border business, started to build a team um, latter half of 2020 around her. 21, just things started to really pick up some traction for us. Uh, and then 20, we rolled into 22, an uh, outstanding growth year for us as a, as a small company. Um, took it from zero to over 25 million in four years. Uh, we thought that was pretty, pretty, um, pretty outstanding performance given every, yeah. all the challenges that were thrown at us. Um, and, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of rolling into 2023 here, halfway through the year, feeling pretty good about things. Um, as a small company, we can use the, use the economy as a reason not to grow. But um, it doesn't make that doesn't make it that doesn't mean it's e- not, not easy, right? It's exactly it's um, easy. It's hard on everybody, including the small guys. So, but we continue to build out. Uh, we've got four offices now um, around the country, primarily around the border, obviously. And we've got we just opened our fourth office in Central Florida. Um, that's primarily going to be fo- focused on domestic freight forwarding um, and LTL. So. Um, you know, that's kind of where we're at now. We've, we're we're looking uh, for a pretty good second half of the year and headed into 2024 with a lot of optimism and and um, continue to grow that um, cross-border business. 
It's interesting you talked about COVID and there's that probably 90 day window from, from mm-hmm. late March to, to late June that everyone was scared to death in, in transportation and logistics. Absolutely. And then it turned into a huge bull market, right? right. You know, the, 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 the biggest bull market that, that I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe you as well. I mean, I can't think yeah, of any, any extended like time it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was nothing quite like that. I, you know, again, I've been, been around and been in this business since the early eighties and, uh, there's no comparison to what we saw coming out of COVID. It's just, it was crazy, 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 crazy good. Not necessary for the consuming public or inflation, but it was definitely good for the logistics and supply chain um, professionals out there and companies such as uh, Cargo Quotes. So, yeah, it definitely was. Uh, has border kind of calmed down to, to normal um, since, since yeah, COVID? You know, the good thing, I guess, yeah, I guess the good thing or the Upside to the cross-border businesses, the impacts of COVID and the impacts of coming out of COVID weren't as dramatic. Um, there, there weren't as, as many excesses, but it kind of insulated us in terms of being able to grow. The demand, I think, remained always higher in the Nemec- in, in, in the cross-border area than it did on the domestic U.S., um, especially going into this year. I think we saw a later dip and a later trough, if you will. Coming into coming into twenty three, when things really started to ramp down with all the things that the government was doing to try and bring down inflation, so you know we've we've been somewhat insulated, and that was kind of a hidden benefit that I don't think any of us in our business, um, at least in our company, anticipated the good mm-hmm. the, the 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 real upside to the co- coming out of COVID and then the muted downside for us. So you know it's still it's still off from last year, but it's not off to the same kind of percentages or gap, if you will, as the domestic market. So it's been, it's been a real nice surprise. Still hard finding trucks, um, northbound. It's better. Yeah. Better Better. getting there. Yeah. Not not impossible. You know, we've, you know, we've done a, I think a real good job of building relationships with our Mexican carriers now with the B1 driver program. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of our business comes out of Mexico, with and goes right to the U.S. with the same same guys driving, that's helped a lot. So we're not looking for a care every time we cross the border. Uh, probably forty five percent now is transload of our business. Everything else is through Trader. So that's been a big focus on our part to to really dive in there and get those cares set up so that we don't have to rely on the domestic um, capacity market for help. But it's still a p- big piece of our business for sure. It is. It definitely is, you know. I mean, I, and you brought up uh, those relationships with Mexican carriers, and I think that is one of the, the key ingredients that, that creates a moat mm-hmm. to, to really getting in on that that business, right? That that competitive advantage, because that is, uh, you know, coming in from it blind, uh, that takes years to, to to kind of build up and and get to know the the, the Mexican carriers. You know, certainly, any any movements south of the border. Um, with the, the visas north of the border now as well, but it's it's right. it's a tricky business um, yeah, building yeah. those relationships down there because it, it works much differently than it does uh, appear domestically. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to steal from Ronald Reagan, my still my favorite president. Trust but verify. That that term has no has more value in Mexico than any you know you can imagine. It's know who you're dealing with, know who you're working with ask a lot of questions, ask a lot of competitors. Um, you just, you know, even the best of the best in Mexico have issues just like U.S. cares. But 
um, you know, tying back to that experience, you know, with other companies doing the same business, doing cross-border, being able to build up those relationships over years as opposed to months or weeks or days really helps us, really gives us the confidence that um, we know who we're dealing with. We know who we can rely on. We know that we can tr- we can put our customers' business in their hands and know that it's going to be executed um, correctly and picked up on time. All those things that, you know, take some of the mystery out of and risk out of cross-border business. Because that, let's get right down to it. The, the, the thing about cross-border, it's always been that gap of that window of time and in, in in, in crossing the border that's been a mystery. Oh, where's my shipment? Where's What's happening? What's going on with it? With all of our carriers, they have to be able to provide us 24-7, 365 tracking electronically. So, um, you know, building those partnerships is key, trusting but verifying on every single um, step through the process with any new carrier, any in, in that case, with any new customer. So, you really do, and you mentioned the uh, that 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 time lapse mm-hmm. of you know it could be three days or five days sometimes. Usually, I I don't know what it is now, but a decade ago, three days, right? Yeah, kind that's, of that's that probably close to average. Yeah, three days. Yeah, yeah, and and you know you're going southbound, so then. It, you have to get the drainage company to, to move across the border, uh, the customs broker. The, I mean, it's it's really complicated. Um, yeah, it's multi-legged, multi-stakeholders is probably the best yes. way to put it in every load. Even on the through trader opportunities, there's still multiple parties that are involved in that load. The customer, us obviously, carriers, customs brokers, all of the parties have to be in sync have to be um, in communication um, with each other um, to avoid those um, crossing the river issues, right? Yes. From the Weibo to Laredo or Reynosa to, to Arlington or wherever it is, El Paso to Juarez, that's, that's the gap. That's the dark hole of mystery that I've always referred to as you fix that problem, you solve that equation, and you have visibility, which we do with our customers. Um, that makes a huge difference. It takes some of the mystery out of it. It takes the guesswork out of it, and and um, gives our customers more comfort that you know they know exactly what's going on with their shipment and when they can expect to see it, make that crossing, and and move on its way. So we talk about the the, the southern border, right, Mexico, yeah. a lot because of those 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 issues where mm-hmm. you know we moved a lot of stuff in and out of Canada oh, as yeah. well, and um, there it just works. It just works. Yep. You know, you, you have as a as a freight broker, you have very little invo- involvement in it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially now, you know, it's, it's basically um, if the carrier knows what they're doing, then then yeah. that's great. So there's very little you have to get involved. But on the southern side, you have to be involved. Mm-hmm. You have oh, to yeah. be involved. Yeah. You have to check the paperwork. Um, I ran into that issue um, where the the customs broker, uh, the BOL, the customs broker. We, I, I was all wrong, and there was more product on the trailer than than, yeah. than what crossed, and that turned into a massive headache. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of stakeholders, right. a lot of busy people, um, a lot of moving parts uh, that you have to keep track of. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a dance, you know, and there's multiple dance partners, so it's it, it can be complicated. Uh, it, it can really be, and I, I think that's what really separates it from. 
a domestic mm-hmm. move uh, right. of any kind. And um, means that there's less competition. I mean, it's still a very competitive market, um, but it's very less competitive than you find in a, a dry van from Chicago to Atlanta. Yeah. You know, I was listening to the, the um, uh, State of the Industry. I think that's the, the podcast or the, the thing they had, Freightways had today at mm-hmm. um, 12. And they were talking about Laredo being one of the busiest, if not one of the busiest truck markets in the country consistently. Um, yes. And l- every year, Laredo is growing in terms of the amount of business it's crossing. So, you know, it, 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 you can get lost in a hurry if, if you don't have the right people in place, the right carriers, uh, and have the right, ty- right amount of communication going on with all those stakeholders because there is a lot of stuff going on in Laredo, as you, as you know. Well, we talked about the custom station, so the, the customs uh, border patrol, right, mm-hmm. on, on both yep. sides, right? The, yep. the, that's still, it, it's not a mystery, but it's, it's something that you don't have full visibility in. You know, it's, it's going to cross. Exactly. You know, they're, they're in line to, to, to cross, and that's the, they're going to cross when they cross mm-hmm. sometimes. Yep. So, I mean, no control over it. Yep. And, uh, and it does teach you, uh, you know, brokers does, and then across border, you take another. You can't worry too much about what you can't control. You exactly. You need to focus on what you can control to make sure that what you can't control, uh, you, 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 you make it to where you don't have bad outcomes. Right. Exactly. Yep. It's tough to do. Tough yeah. To yeah. I mean, we even, you know, we work with our, with our Mexican carriers so that, that we only dispatch them when they have to run during daylight hours. And that's for obviously for security purposes, but it's also for safety. I mean, we care about the safety of our Mexican carrier drivers and, and their, and the, and the rest of their staff. So, you know, that some people, um, and most people don't realize that most carriers that are crossing into the Mexico, into Mexico are trying to avoid moving their cargo at night. So there's a limited window of time. Not only, uh, you know, are there issues, potential issues along the border, but we're trying to keep as our Mexican care partners are there, keep their drivers safe. So they, we don't put them at any undue necessary, unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that, that closes the window of time that you have to work within as well. So, you know, there are plenty of challenges, but we've got a great team at cargo quotes, um, seasoned veterans, new people that have come up in the, in Laredo and know the market, know the business. Um, and we feel pretty comfortable that we've got, a lot of the answers our customers are looking for when it comes to, to handling their cross-border business. And uh, you, you mentioned the, the, the fruit waves side of the, the industry. Mm-hmm. I think it was Craig and Zach probably yep, talking it about it. They talk about it quite a bit. We, we talked about it you know, before we hit record or last time we, we spoke. And yep. uh, it's a trend. Reshoring is, is here. It's here out it in the is. light, right? It's not a shadow. Talking about it, <laughs> <laughs> it was a. I would say it's a hidden gem, but you know, you know that old philosophy about fishing in blue water versus red mm-hmm. water, right? Well, we we felt like we were lavender water, maybe in cross border, little blood, but not much. Mm-hmm. Just you know, the competitive landscape wasn't as significant. Um, now we, you know, everybody. That's the that I I would assume, and I don't have any statistics here, but. Of all the topics that are written related to logistics and transportation right now, almost every one of them has something about nearshoring to talk about that. Um, so it is very much a number one, number two, number three, top five, let's say, topic of conversation in, in our business right now. And we wish it wasn't. 
Yeah, and we're not afraid know, of competition. Right? We're not afraid of competition, but why invite it, right? I know, I know. Well, supply chain is now mainstream, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It went mainstream during COVID, and and the knock-on effects of that is that the reshoring. But I, I don't have the stats either. But every time I look at anything, <laughs> uh, any marketing emails yeah. I get, any yeah. anything, I, I see reshoring, nearshoring, um, all of that. That's for sure. I know. And, you know, there's there's like a perfect storm brewing down on the southern border. And I was talking to Teclo Garcia, uh, a great guest. I've had him on the show many times, but he was an economic development uh, guy there in Laredo. Mm-hmm. But he just moved down to Mission. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're working on a bridge down there. But we talked about it, I think it was last week or two weeks ago on, on the show, is that, you know, you, you have reshoring. Mm-hmm. You have the lack of space of yeah. warehousing space, and you know, pretty well maxed out on on all the crossing points. Yeah, you know, traffic is pretty well maxed out. So if there's this reshoring, you know, everyone's talking about it. it takes some time, time lag, right? Yeah, for everything to be constructed, plans to move. Yep, yada yada yada. Two or three years, maybe. But we're looking at kind of a perfect storm down there to where. Uh, there's going to be a lot. There's a lot of bottlenecks now. There, there's going to be a lot more bottlenecks in the future. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the rub here is that you know the concern is there. Will the Mexican government do the right things to build the infrastructure to support the growth? You know, you mentioned the bridges. All the bridges. I mean, they all the bridges need to be expanded. Obviously, that's a chokehold. You know, you're talking about bottlenecks. Well, the bottleneck right now is infrastructure around the borders where it's crossing you know the capacity for the border cities on both sides mm-hmm. to handle that additional volume um and and will the mexican government be a participant in that in terms of them doing the things that they have to do south of the rio grande to make sure that that there's infrastructure there to support the ever-increasing volume and like you said, it's there's a lag time there, but two years, three years from now, maybe five years from now, um, with all this foreign investment coming back into Mexico, um, I, they're going to have to participate. They're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to. The disappointing thing for me is all the investments coming from foreign countries. I'd you know again personally for the Mexican people, I'd like to see see some Mexican companies start to step up and grow their business as well. It's the influx of foreign investments great for the for the people of Mexico in terms of wages, labor, you know, pay, you know, wages and those things. But the Mexican government really needs to figure out how they turn some of this development into infrastructure to support it, because you can only build so much product in all these cities, these manufacturing cities. But if you can't get it to the border because of congestion and because of lack of infrastructure, you know, you're going to you're going to die in your own soup, you know, face down. So, you know, hopefully they do all the right things, make all the right moves. Um, but, you know, we, we talk to people regularly down in the, in, in the know down there, and it sounds like they're moving some things in the right direction. Hopefully they'll move fast enough um, to accommodate what looks like it's going to be a, a, a significant growth in manufacturing capacity in, in Mexico for you name it. Somebody's going to be building it or making it or producing it in Mexico at some point. Yes, uh, that, that that trend is is there, and and at some point, at yeah. some point, but it, it is moving, and you can yeah. see it. Uh, have you been hearing any buzz about San Luis? 
Well, obviously, that's a big automotive hub. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of potential there for electrification. Um, obviously, as as I'm sure most folks have heard, you know, the Tesla plant that's going in down there. It's not in St. Louis, but um, you know, there's. I think it's any one of those major manufacturing cities. Obviously, Monterey has the advantage because of the mm-hmm. proximity to the U.S. But any of those other cities. Um, again, the infrastructure between those towns, just it's got to be better, you know. Um, but yeah, as far as the potential, I mean, yeah, I, I think the electrification and yeah. it's going to be great you, for Mexico. You mentioned, sorry, I, yeah, it just brought me back. Uh, you mentioned Monterey and mm-hmm. proximity because it's, it's 90 miles, I think. Right? Yeah. It's about an hour and a half to, to Loret or to Nuevo Loret. Um, but they need, a, they, they need an actual turnpike for for that i don't know what they've done in the, in the 10 years since i was down there um but i i think that that it's a, like a three four lane each way yeah. oh yeah road. yep it should be right yes and, uh, it has to be and it probably needs to be you know again it needs to be bigger or there need to be alternate routes you know i think this is where you're maybe a shoulder see. to the road there's only so much you know volume you can push through laredo I mean, it's just at some point you're going to reach a, a capacity that you just can't overcome with infrastructure. So the other gateways are going to have to grow and there's going to have to be infrastructure built out there to help them grow. Um, it just it's you know, they those all of those crossing points, at least on the Texas side of the border, need to need to develop, uh, you know, more capacity to handle volume. It's just it's just, you know, again, I there's at some point there's a maximum capacity for Laredo. I don't know what that max compa- max capacity is, but if you haven't been down there in a while, um, you, you would you wouldn't believe the number of warehouses that are being built, the roads road infrastructure. Texas is doing their part now. Mm-hmm. It, it's they're doing catch, they're catching up, and you know how highway construction goes. By the yeah. time you get something built, you need more, right? So yep. you know. It, it's um, crazy, crazy stuff going on in Laredo, but it's all good. Um, you know, a year and a half down the road, we'll, you know, all that infrastructure will be, hopefully be ready and, and ready to support all that growth in Mexico. Yeah, I haven't been in 10 years. I, I need to get back down there and see Mines Road and, and drive around a little bit and, and check it's, out what, what was changed because it yeah. is a busy place. And if nobody, if the, for those who have never been there, that's, that's an experience that every person in transportation to, should, should have once in their lifetime is to spend a couple of days in Laredo for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, it, it is, it's, it's mind blowing. It's like Chicago compressed within about a five mile radius. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it is. It, it's crazy. It's fun. Great food too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Really good stuff down there. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, the that's the trend, right? I mean, that the trend is is for for the southern border uh, mm-hmm. to to explode over the next ten years. I mean, I think I mean, all when, signals. When China, when China starts investing heavily into Mexico, yeah, that tells you the potential, you know. Um, so they know it's coming. They know the the experience that the U.S. in well North American um, consumers had when. During during the um, I don't know how many total ships were in the port of L.A. At one point, there was a bunch, right? Can get product off the ships, right? Yeah. I think everybody wants to avoid that as as much as possible in the future. And China gets it. I think it it woke the woke them up and said, "Hey, 
this isn't going to last forever. We can't continue to produce product and expect it to get into the North American consumer market by ship. We've got to do something different. And and they're heavily investing in Mexico. Yeah. You know, you know, like I said, all the articles about nearshoring. You know, you know, a good percentage of those articles about are, are about um, Asian companies moving into uh, moving production into Mexico. It'll be interesting. It will be really interesting in the next ten years, and uh, it's a good market for it to, to be interesting. Yeah. But the other no. thing, one that a lot of people aren't talking about is the evalu- the valuation of the peso against the dollar. Um, yeah. It's it's becoming more expensive to run businesses in Mexican Mexican companies to run businesses in Mexico because the peso's value is going up against the dollar, which makes it more expensive for them. And that's mm-hmm. a direct that will have a direct impact on what carriers Mexican carriers charge U.S. carriers to do their line haul in Mexico because of that. It taught you know. It, it, it increases the amount of money that is out of their pocket yep. for every U.S. dollar they're paid. So that's a big one. And not to say it shouldn't evaluate or va- become more valuable against the dollar, but that's, that's, the, that's the downside to it is it becomes more expensive to operate in Mexico in terms of, of transportation as well as many other things. Yeah, you have foreign direct investment coming in. Yep. It, it always raises the, the the local currency yep. against the against the dollar, which kind of evens out everything over time. To we pay, to, our, we pay our carriers in dollars, and they pay their employees in pesos. So it costs mm-hmm. them more to pay those employees when the value of the peso goes up. So they definitely do. So let's go back to the cargo quotes. What are some of the essential ingredients in, in starting a, a brokerage? You know, it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be two, three different things. Um, but, but what are your takes on that? Well, kind of hit on a, maybe a couple of them. Um, but for us, it was really finding a niche where we could play um, in a pretty clean sandbox or a cleaner sandbox or as like I like saying bluer water than red. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we really hit that hard early on. Uh, knew that we didn't want to compete head to head with it. We couldn't compete head to head with all the big box brokerages out there. The domestic market, it was saturated. Um, and again, 19, when we first started, it was a shipper's market, kind of like it yep. is now. It was everybody in the, everybody out there was banging away on the phones and the email and social networking looking for business. So we knew we needed to do something different for us. You know, that was that was a cross-border business because we had the tribal knowledge. We had experience. We knew carriers. We had the connections. Um, and the fundamentals, it's like I, I'm going to use a college football analogy. It's well, block and tackle. You know, it doesn't matter all if you got that five star running back, wide receiver, you know, they're they're not gonna perform well unless you block and tackle and and that and the defense defensive line. It's like in the trenches. If you're not in the trenches and doing all the right things right, mm-hmm. you know, watching your financials, spending your money wisely, making the right hiring decisions. If you don't do all those things, all the sales in the world's not gonna do any good because you're not gonna be around. And then, you know uh, yeah. And manage your money. You know, we're it, it, the reality is, is, I've always said that, is, you know, we're a bank. The reality is a brokerage is, is, is a form of a, a lending organization. Because, mm-hmm. you know, mo- the majority of our customers are going to pay us lower than we pay our cares. And to be a new broker, to grow your business, to bring on cares, you have to do the payment. You have to do your care payments better than everybody else. You have to be on top of your game. You have to pay them in a timely manner. You can't come up with excuses why you don't have the money to pay them because if you do they won't do business with you and as many businesses factor their 
their invoices now, you're dealing with factoring companies and they will turn on you in a dime. So it's about, you know, it's about cash flow. You know, our customers pay us typically our average days to pay is about 38. We pay our carriers in 21 to 30 days. So there's there's an important component of every new startup is you've got to have good cash flow management. If you don't, you're you're sunk. You just it just won't work. It won't. It, it won't. You'll be selling your Mercedes <laughs> on a Friday afternoon on Craigslist. I, yeah. I I won't say who told me that, but it was just this week he told me that. Yeah. Well, uh, but but very successful guy. Um, you know he, he figured it out. But you know you you have those cash flow problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cash cash is king. You know the guys that can manage their cash flow well, um, manage the receivables well. Um, we never factored. We didn't do any of that stuff. We just we we met every day. We talked about where our cash is coming from, where it's going out, and we just you know you just got to be on top of that. That's yeah. I don't say it's the number one priority, but boy, it's way up there. You know, it's way up there. You got to bring on business. There's no doubt, but. Yeah, that business is going to go away pretty quickly if you don't have any money to operate. So, yep, business that pays too, right? Yep, yeah, yeah. You don't want well, at least let that customer. phrase we used to say. You know, I've been doing this long enough not to want to do it for free, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, so um, I'm going to let you rate me as a freight broker. Yes, you know it intimately. You yeah. know, um, freight is a freight broker. Yeah. Oh, you were a good freight broker. You're great. Great sales guy. <laughs> Had all the sales techniques. We're willing and flexible. I mean, how long did you stay in Laredo? Six months? Something like that? You moved Six down to Laredo? Months, think, yeah. you're, you're all the things you need in uh, to become a good broker. You were curious, willing to learn. You understand. You understood the analytics of the business. You understood the customer side of the business. So, yeah, on a scale of 10, nine, nine and a half, maybe eight, maybe on some days, most days, nine. <laughs> some days, three, probably. Yeah. You uh, know, there was a couple days in there, but who isn't a three every once in a while, right? I know, right? <laughs> well, you were an excellent boss. I I yeah, uh, appreciate all the opportunities that you, you gave me and um, yep. set me off on a career in transportation. So I don't know whether to thank you or curse you for that, but <laughs> well, it, it's turned out very well. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you ask for. Um, yeah, that's one of, one of the more gratifying things about being in this business is the network of people I've had the privilege to work with and work for. Um, you know, my network of people that you know, I've come in contact over those this almost 40 years now is pretty broad, pretty extensive. Um, and, and, but I can count on my hands some, you know, on two of my hands, some of the people that I really value and, and, um, and, and hold in high regard. And you're certainly on that short list. You're on my short list as well. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for, for stopping by. I put that coffee yep. down today. And, uh, if our audience wants to learn more about cargo quotes, about yourself, you're on LinkedIn quite a bit. I am. Um, I am Kyle a social Dolphin. maven. <laughs> Solution maven. Yes. Uh, yeah. There you go. And then I, I guess cargoquotes.com. Yep, cargoquotes.com. There's a lot of good information there. We just um, brought on a really sharp marketing person earlier in the year this year, and she's done a great job of kind of bringing us in, into the 21st century in terms of social marketing and website development and all that. So I think we have a pretty slick website now, very informative, actually functional as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah, www.cargoquotes.com or one eight eight one six. 524-7500. 7500. Well, pleasure as always. And yep. um, 
yeah, for this going to wrap it for this episode. Like, follow, put that coffee down wherever you download your audio files, your audio podcasts, and um, and also on Freightcast where you find all the Freight Waves a library all in one channel. But until next time, go out and make some sales, make some margin, enjoy the day. All right, take care, Kate Hill. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expenses, cause winning's expensive. I got expenses, cause winning's expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars.